0: Uh, could be said concerning the woman's role that we have taken three chapels to look at. this morning we're going to begin to take a look at gals, how dirty, rotten, and filthy sinners the men are in this group, and to kind of take a I don't know if you're supposed to clap, girls, uh, just to take a look at the role of men. So let's pray as we do so. Father, I would ask that you would move in our midst this morning and help each man to come to grips with what he is supposed to be now and what he is to prepare to be for the future so that he might please you. Father, give us the courage to expose ourselves to your word. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was a young boy, I really enjoyed going to some carnivals And I used to enjoy going on the thrill rides at those particular carnivals and enjoy eating all the junk food that was prevalent at those uh, carnivals that were the local ones, you know, the ones where they set up and they look like giant tinker toys, and you uh, put yourself and your life on the line by enjoying those rides. And one of the things that I used to enjoy, as well as that used to give me the greatest amount of fear, was to look at the kind of the freak shows that they had at these particular carnivals and one year they were advertising that the big attraction at this sideshow or this freak show was a two-headed monster and so I paid my quarter and I went inside and was horrified yet at the same time fascinated to see a two-headed cow there was a cow that had one head a normal head in proportion to its body, and then it had a second head growing out the side of its neck. And it was very interesting and very fascinating and almost horrifying, but at the same time very grotesque to see a two-headed monster. Interesting that a two-headed anything is a freak of nature. A two-headed anything is something that is really grotesque. And that's exactly what the marriage relationship is when there are two heads, when there are two heads, when there isn't one head, but two. The interesting thing that we all know from Scripture is that the Bible calls the man of God in the marriage relationship to be the head of the wife. The question is, what is headship? What is headship? What is this leadership role that the man is supposed to apply. I mean, there's so much confusion about it. Yes, the man is to be a man who fears God. Yes, he's to be one who is a man of the word. Yes, he is to be a man of prayer. He is to be a man of humility and a man of obedience. But what is this role of headship? How does it play itself out? I'd be willing to bet that we would not all agree on the Ten Commandments of masculinity. In a recent book that I read, they laid out ten qualifications or ten commandments that a man is supposed to be. And if we were to ask this crowd this morning, I would believe that we would be somewhere divided in between both agreeing with it and disagreeing with it. Both accepting some and rejecting others. Here they are. If a man is to be truly a man, he shall not cry. He shall not display weakness. He shall not need affection or gentleness or warmth. He shall comfort, but not desire comforting. He shall be needed, but not need. He shall touch, but not be touched. He shall be steel, not flesh. He shall inviolate and never inviolate his manhood. He shall stand alone. He shall never be transparent. And for us Christian men, ask yourself this question. Why is it that some of us in this group here this morning cannot nor will not lead other men? Ask yourself the question, why is it that my girlfriend, my girl dash friend, will not follow my leadership? Why is it that I'm not the type of person that others naturally want to follow? How can we develop those needed qualities in our lives that are going to cause us to be the men that we're supposed to be the head of a future relationship with a woman? How can we develop the faith of an Abraham, the courage of an Elijah, the audacity of a Samson, the utter trust of David, the death defined determination of a Daniel? How is it that we are going to really example ourselves to others as being a Christ like individual? Therefore, what I'd like to do this morning to answer those questions is to approach it two different ways. Number one, to take a look at what the role of headship is not. What is a man not to be? What is he not to do in the role of headship? And then number two, to take a brief look at what the role of headship is. First of all, what the role of headship is not. And under that, I think the first thing that I'd want to give you would be he is not to be a dictator. He is not to be a despot or a tyrant. In many Christian homes, the man or the father or the husband walks around with a biblical club waiting to hit anybody who steps out of line or challenges his authority. And that's why today we find so much rebellion, so much biblical feminism, as they call it, which is not biblical and it's not feminism. They shout orders and they demand instant obedience to every woman's wish. And basically, they meet every opposition with some sort of psychological or even physical force and abuse. You know, too many men today begin to act more like Hitler, more like La- Napoleon, than Jesus Christ. Their headship or their leadership is not one of Christ's likeness. They want brainless, senseless, and absolute obedience and not submission from the heart. Not submission from the heart. You know, gals, just as a little hint, as we're looking through this, we're going to take some application to your future dating relationships. Watch out for the guy who continually reminds you of your role. Watch out for the guy who continually reminds you to submit or to find your place. Because that may be the man who is the dictator, the Hitler in his role as a man. Secondly, the biblical role of a man is not to automatically have the man be the respected one or the followed one. Just because he's in headship doesn't mean that automatically every girl is going to follow him. And guys, I know that's a great disappointment to you, but that nevertheless is true. Just because we men have been given the position of headship in the home doesn't mean that our wives or our future wives or our future children are going to follow us or respect us. Just being the head does not guarantee that everything is going to run smoothly or that you're going to be honored from the heart. I mean, even if the woman wants to submit to you. Even if she wants to respect you, even if she wants to follow you, that does not guarantee that she's going to do that from the heart. From the heart. She may give herself to the externals, but she may not follow you from that heart's desire to follow you. Understand this. To be one who is going to be followed even now or in the future with a wife, you're going to have to have two essential qualities in your life. And I've mentioned them before and I will mention them again. Number one is you're going to have to be a trusted individual. You're going to have to be trustworthy. You're going to have to be someone who is basically respected. Secondly, you're going to have to be someone who is not only trusted, but as I just mentioned, respected. And these are earned character qualities that are seen in your life. One of the main ingredients of the problems that I face when couples come in for marriage counseling is that the wife has lost trust and the wife has lost respect for her husband and in defiance almost and in excuse for her behavior. She says, I do everything that he wants me to do, but she doesn't do it from the heart. And the reason that she doesn't is she has lost trust and she has lost respect My old car, I had a car that I drove for 170,000 miles. It was a 72 Pinto, one of those exploding kind. And it had an interesting thing on it. It had some idiot lights. And idiot lights means that, specifically in my Pinto, when the engine light would go on, that would mean that the engine is about to fall out on the freeway. Um, It had kind of an alarm saying, you've got about 10 seconds to pull over, buddy, or you're really going to pay for it. That was an idiot light. And I want you to know that there are some idiot lights in every guy-girl relationship. That if they come on instantly, you need to pay attention to them. And one of them is is when a girl will not follow your lead in a very gracious way. Not in a sinful way, but in a very gracious, loving way. Or, Or the gal won't follow or the guy will not take his leadership. Will not take his leadership. Or he is not respected by the girl. Basically, those two areas. And that means one of two things. You're not the right leader, guys. Or number two, she's a rebellious woman. It's either one of those two things. It's an idiot light in a relationship. You ought to take note of it. Number three, headship does not mean that a man makes all the decisions with no discussion. A man makes all the decisions with no discussion. You know, I make it a regular habit. Of sitting down with my wife, Jean, and discussing issues and things that we are facing as a couple. And it's very interesting of the profound wisdom that is found in that woman. That's why it's so important to marry a woman that you respect. Because if you respect her, you're going to listen to her counsel. And there's going to be a real partnership in your relationship. You know, I sit down with Dewey Bertolini often at church and we talk over things. and, And we'll be talking about something and making a statement. And all of a sudden he'll go, you know, Becky said that. And he'll be talking to me and making a statement about my ministry or something else. And I'll go, you know, Gene said the very same thing. And the interesting thing about that is that what marriage is all about. It's a partnership. It doesn't mean the man makes all the decisions. It means there's a mutual sharing and caring. And gals, watch out for the guy who doesn't listen to what you say. Because that may be another idiot light in your relationship. And by the way... If he can't listen or won't listen for whatever reason, the number one indicator of a healthy relationship is the issue of communication. And if you as a couple cannot communicate, you're headed for big, big trouble. Another reason or excuse of what headship is not is that although headship makes the husband responsible for all decisions that are made, it doesn't mean that he's always right. It does not mean that he is always right. Even in a dating relationship, it doesn't mean that he is always right. When I was growing up, my brother, who is four years older than myself, and he's an incredibly intelligent man. He's now a doctor, a medical doctor. And uh, he had an interesting way of making me feel bad for things I didn't do. Did you ever have a brother or a sister like that? They had a unique ability To make you feel guilty for the things that he did wrong. I mean, he used to leave the tools out on the lawn and they'd get rusted. And then my dad would want to shove them down our throat in love. And my brother would somehow make me feel guilty for him leaving the tools out on the lawn. He had an incredible way of doing that. And yet that's exactly what some men do in their relationships with women in marriage. They make the gals feel guilty for their lack of leadership. Isn't that interesting that that's exactly what happened in the garden? Here was Adam, guilty as all get out, and what did he say? The woman you gave me. He blamed God and he blamed her. He played the blame game. One of the issues of headship is that a guy will take responsibility for the decisions that he makes, even when he's wrong. And, gals, avoid the man who cannot admit that he has made a mistake. Avoid the man like the blubonic plague who cannot say that he is sorry for what he has done. That's a man who will give you great misery the rest of your life. And, guys, avoid the woman who challenges every decision that you make. Because all that is is an indication that she does not respect you. She will not follow you. Fifthly, headship does not mean that the wife is inferior. That the wife is inferior. We've already discussed this, but basically watch out for the male lion complex. The male lion complex. If you know anything about male lions, they have to fight like anything to get their woman or their pride, their, their group of gals that are going to be their mates for life. They will fight off other males. After that point in time, once they have their brood, the male lion basically does nothing the rest of his life. He does nothing. Who does all the hunting? The female lion. Who does all the work? The female lion. Who takes care of the cubs? The female lion. And when the little cubs bug the male lion, he'll either kill him or the female lion will get him out of there, out of the way. He does nothing. Watch out, gals. For the guy who is not interested in headship, he's interested in kingship, the empress supremus maximus, and you will be his slave for life. That is not what headship means. Well, if that's not what it means, it doesn't mean being a dictator. It doesn't mean you'll be automatically respected. It doesn't mean that he will make all the decisions and always be right and that the wife is inferior. What does it mean? And for the answer to that, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. take a look at one of the greatest treaties on marriage ever written and the clearest description of what headship is all about. Now understand this. If the woman is to fill out her role as a woman, and if the man is to fill out his role as a man, there are basically two presuppositions. Here they are. I'll give them to you very quickly before we look at Ephesians 5. The two presuppositions are, number one, that you must be, and she must be, or he must be truly a child of God. If they are not redeemed, there is no way that they are going to fit the biblical model and fill in the role of what God has designed for the man and God has designed for the woman. That's basic, that's simple, I realize that, but understand this, there are people who claim to be Christians who are not. There are people in this crowd who are not saved even though they would claim to be saved and even though they would manifest even some inkling of what a Christian is like. Because we know in every crowd there are always wheat and what? And tares. Therefore, there are going to be some here who are not. That means that you need to be very wise, very prayerful in choosing who you would spend your time with and develop a relationship with. Number two, they must be continually filled with the Spirit in order for them to fill out their God-given role. If they are a Christian who maintains an always an up down roller coaster Christianity, where sometimes they're right on with God and other times they're at the bottom of the barrel. Watch out for that individual, whether guy or gal, because that may not be the one who you want to right at this particular time, build a relationship with. It takes those two presuppositions in order to fill out any role, whether it male or female. Being a true Christian and then secondarily being filled with the spirit. So if that's the case, then what is the biblical role of headship? First, if you take a look at Ephesians 5.25, to accomplish true headship, the man must work out living out sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. That's point number one. Sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In order for a man to exercise biblical headship, or responsibility, he must emphatically, and that's where it is in this text, emphatic. It's an absolute requirement that he love his wife sacrificially. You see, the authority given to a man as the head in a relationship or to lead in a relationship is not based upon ruling. It's not based upon dominating. It's not based upon commanding or subjecting the other partner the role of headship is based on his sacrifice of himself to that woman that God gives him. His willingness to sacrifice for her and take the leadership in sacrificing for her. Just as the woman's submission places an expectation on the man to live out his role of headship by sacrificially loving his wife, it's the same, and when the man sacrificially loves his wife, it places an expectation on her to fill out her role of submission. Do you understand that? That's how God has designed it. It really grieves my heart to find many, many times women with inferior self-concepts Women with very, very weak self-concepts and self-images, very poor. And what they do is they look for a man, and this happens so many times, I can tell you even some couples who this has happened to. They look for a man who justifies and rationalizes and matches up to their own weak self-concept. Do you understand that? The girls with these weak self-images look for guys who will then reinforce what they believe to be true about themselves. So these weak-willed girls who are saying, I'm nothing, I'm trashy, find a guy who says, you're nothing and you're trashy, and they build a relationship because that guy reinforces what they believe to be true about themselves, and they have an incredibly mismatched relationship. And time and time again, those are the relationships that end in tragic divorce. Gals, you are to evaluate what God wants you to be. You are to evaluate what your status is in God's kingdom. And then you are to seek out a man who will fill out the biblical role of headship, which doesn't mean treating you like a doormat. And some of you here are in that same situation. You have an incredibly bad self-image and you are attracted to guys who satisfy that self-image. And I would ask you to reevaluate that. Well, what does it mean that he sacrificially loves her? Let me give you two ways in which you can learn how to sacrificially love your future wife to be or your wife to be. Those of you who are married, number one would be or letter A to work to support her work to support her. Biblically, the burden of support of the family falls upon the man you men in filling out your role as a man, are required to support your family. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith. Do you understand what that means? He's denying everything that Christianity stands for. And number two, he's worse than an unbeliever. He's worse than an unbeliever. Biblically, you are to provide for your future family. My question to you men is this. Are you working now to become a provider? Some of the men in this group, as in every group in Southern California, have a philosophy that life is a beach. I want you to know that when you become a collegian No longer are you allowed the freedom to treat life like a beach. Life is not to be something to be cruised. Life is not something to kind of let happen as you let happen. You are to work and strive to be a leader, to work and strive to provide for your potential and future family. You are to put yourself by pursuing your degree and pursuing working hard at work and becoming someone who can budget money and take care of himself and not only take care of himself, but also to take care of a wife. And instantly, guys, when you become married, not every birth control is totally foolproof. You need to be immediately ready to take care of a family. When you marry, you've got to be that day ready to take care of children because nine months later you may have some. That's the biblical role of headship. My question to you, are you even thinking along those lines? Secondly, and you will like this one a whole lot less. Sacrificial love in a relationship is manifested by, catch this, repenting first. In a male-female relationship... In any relationship, there's going to be an argument. There's going to be a disagreement. There's going to be differences. And whenever there is an impasse, whenever there's a situation where there cannot be a satisfactory solution, and there is heat and there is tension, you men are to do exactly what Jesus Christ did. Now follow this. Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus Christ died for people, even though Jesus Christ was absolutely right. Was He not? Was He absolutely pure? Did He ever make a mistake? Did He ever even sin? No, He did not. Yet He died for those who sinned against Him. You are to be exactly like Jesus Christ, even though you may be right. When there's an impasse and you're about to let your son go down on your anger, the man is to make things right. The man is to repent first. Now, some of you gals, watch out. Don't load your guns because you're going to get into a situation. You're going to draw your six gun and the guy's arguing with you and you're having a disagreement. and You're in pre-engagement. or You're in engagement. And you're going to go, bang, you're supposed to repent first. And you just challenge him to live out his role. I want you to know that just because the man is to repent first does not mean that the woman is is irresponsible or not responsible for her sin. When there's a disagreement and there's an argument and you sin, you are still responsible for your sin. But in the role of headship, the man is to swallow his pride and his ego, and he is to repent first to preserve the relationship. Those of you men who are married are and have learned that secret, you'll understand that sometimes in a situation where there's a lot of emotion, it is best sometimes to just say, I'm sorry, honey, let's bury it. I'm sorry I made that mistake, even though she's just as guilty or more guilty than you. Because that's the role of headship. See, headship means that you take every situation and you begin to display Jesus Christ. You begin to show what Jesus Christ would be like, and Jesus Christ would not fight for his rights. you follow that? Something to think about. I hope that makes you uncomfortable. I want you to meditate on something for a second. In evaluating your past relationships, gals with guys or guys with gals, was there a sense that the man would continually surrender his will to God's will? Or even in a current relationship, was there a desire to work hard and pursue a career for the future in order to provide? And was there continual dying of the ego? and the desire to be the first to apologize. Think about that because that's exactly what the bible's talking about when it says to love sacrificially. Number 2. A man accomplish, accomplishes godly headship by giving himself to responsibility or giving himself to authoritative love. Look at verses 22 and through 24 of Ephesians 5. 22 through 24. Wives Be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. When a man thinks of headship, he should view it as not as his right, but as his duty. His headship is not so much power as it is true responsibility. Just as a pastor will give an account for his flock, the husband will give an account for his wife and his children. Just as Christ is the Savior of the body, the husband is the protector of his wife and children. He is to watch over their spiritual, their mental, their emotional their financial their social and their physical health they're to look over those things he another in other words he needs to be a decision maker a decision maker gals watch out for the guy who once he starts dating you on a regular basis comes up and he says well what do you want to do tonight and you say to him oh whatever you want and he says i don't care what do you want to do doesn't it remind you of when you were a little kid at and summer and you're going what do you want to do i don't know what do you want to do basically what that is is indicative of his lack of leadership Ooh, i'm sorry guys but that's exactly what it is guys need to be able to take the lead and make decisions and your past or your current relationships has the role of the man reflected responsibility and respect or impatience and accusation where's it been Evaluate that. Number three, headship means a holy and purifying love. Look at Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. Jesus gave himself to the church that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. First, I'd like to suggest that what that means to the single men present here this morning is that you are to never expose your date or your wife-to-be to anything that would be closely considered evil. If you love her with a holy, purifying love, then headship means that you prevent exposing your date to evil. That means that the true man of God is extremely careful where he takes his date and what he shows her and what he does with her. He's very careful when he chooses where he goes and what they see together. Secondly, if you look at verse 26, you'll notice that Christ sanctifies and cleanses the church with the word. And what that means is not only is the true man able to teach and instruct his wife to be or his date. If you're not going to build her up, guys, if you're not going to equip her to be more of what Jesus Christ wants her to be, you have no right to take her out. Now, that does not mean, for those of you who are quick to apply things, that every date means Bible study and prayer and fasting. Of course, for us guys, that could really be convenient if fasting was included in that. What it does mean is that on a date, if you're not willing to exercise Christ-likeness and your lifestyle is not such that she is challenged to be more of what Jesus Christ wants her to be as a result of your life, by spending time together, you don't have a right to take her out. And gals, have the spiritual guts to say no to a guy who is not going to challenge you and equip you in your Christianity. And tell him why. Have the courage to say, I would love nothing better than to go out with you because I think you're a neat guy. But I want you to know that I don't feel that your spiritual life is of such that it's really going to be a building evening. Now, you may take that as a slam or as a rip, but that's really going to challenge that guy to be what he's supposed to be. And if you love him and care for him as a brother in Jesus Christ, you'll have the guts to tell him that. Another area that would involve headship is a sensitive and caring love. A sensitive and caring love, which is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 28 through 30. But I think it's best displayed in 1st Peter chapter 3 verse 7. And if you want to look over at that, if you're still following along, 1st Peter chapter 3 and verse 7 says this. You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way. An understanding way. As with a weaker vessel. Since she is a woman. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. What that means as far as a sensitive and caring love in headship, it means that men are to show women consideration. Consideration. When it says to live with your wife in an understanding way, it means basically a conscious sensitivity to God's will for her. It means to feel what she feels, to talk when she needs to talk. To listen when she needs someone to listen and to take the time to do that. Now, this is somewhat artificial because some of you girls are saying, oh, Rupert, he listens to everything that I say. And you're so sensitive and he's so sensitive to you. I want you to know that the true test of a man who really wants to love you sensitively is not when he's dating you. It's not even in engagement. It's not even in the first year of marriage. It's when you get three or four years down the road. That's the true test of whether a man's going to listen to you. When all of a sudden your love grows into that old shoe love, that comfortable love. But there is a test, gals. There is a test to see if the guy really cares about you even before he's married. And guys, I, I please forgive me for sharing this. When he's watching the World Series when he's watching the super bowl will he stop and listen to you that is the true test of true love another way that first peter tells us some of you gals have marked on your calendar october <laughs> Now, it's unfair. No girl who really loves her man is going to pull him away from that, by the way. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) I just want you to know that. But that is a true test. Secondly, in living with a woman as a weaker vessel, and the text explains what a weaker vessel means, that means that she is a woman, that she is not as physically strong as a man. What that basically means is that you're chivalrous. You still give in to chivalry. You still get a door for a girl. You'll still catch a car door and help her take her seat. You know, some guys, once they get into a comfortable dating relationship, the gal still got her foot hanging out the door and he's halfway down the driveway. You know what I mean? And we've already talked about that. That doesn't mean, guys, if you really treat a girl as a weaker vessel, it doesn't mean you come up and whack them on the back and say, Hey, buddy, how's it going? Or you rip them around the neck and give them the nookies on the head. (laughs) Or you you get the door for them, but you don't wait long enough for it to catch it, so it just slams on them as they're walking through. Or they're carrying heavy weights, and you say, Can I help you? And they kind of look at you, and they go, Well, I'll catch it later, you know, that kind of thing. Ask yourself a question. Are you chivalrous? Are you really sensitive to a woman's needs? Are you willing to listen? Last point this morning would be that headship means true leadership or true headship is committed to an unbreakable, eternal love. An unbreakable, eternal love. Ephesians 5.31 says, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You know, I cannot tell you whether the, that there are many possible women for you to marry men or just one sovereign choice or vice versa for you women. But I can tell you that once you are married, that is God's sovereign choice for you. And you are to protect that relationship with an unbreakable Guarded love. Even if you make the worst mistake in the world and marry an unbeliever and are surprised to find yourself married to an unbeliever someday, you are still not to break off that relationship because Malachi 2, 14 through 16 says that God hates divorce. What that means in the text is that someone who divorces his wife or wife who divorces her husband is considered by God to be a traitor Someone who is deceitful, treacherous, and unfaithful. And the man who exercises true biblical leadership with a woman, with his wife, will never go back on the promises that he made on his wedding day. He will never go back on his covenant. He will never try to erase the one flesh relationship. Can you see why God hates premarital sex? Because it indicates a one-flesh relationship, which is indicative of a whole-life commitment. That's why he hates it. It's unfortunate, but statistically, even in the Christian community today in the United States of America, half of all marriages that start will end in divorce. I would like to visually illustrate this just for a moment. I would like this half of the room, this whole half, right over here to stand up, please, just for a moment. And remain standing. I would like both halves of the room now to look at the other half and to catch the idea and the, the truth of the illustration that half of the marriages, whether at this half or this half in this group, are going to break up and end in divorce. Statistically, in our country, not just in the secular environment, but in the Christian world, half of our marriages are breaking up. You may be seated. My question to you is how loyal are you right now? How loyal are you right now? How unbreakable is your love? Are you one who is going to commit yourself to that absolute unbreakable covenant, no matter what? I have the opportunity at my church to work with the premarital ministry and uh, am involved on the council of men who decide if... A marriage relationship is really of the Lord. And I know that's an incredible big responsibility as we kind of survey every relationship and and examine the qualities that are found in these relationships and how these guys and gals are being matched up. And there's no greater joy for me to work with the couples that I even have the privilege of marrying. I made a covenant in my own heart that I would want every couple that I marry to make sure in my own heart that I was convinced that they would never, ever divorce. And so I, even though I'm very busy, spend a lot of time with every couple that I marry. I test them, I put them through some grueling questions, more than anything else, so that on the day of the ceremony I can stand before that crowd of witnesses and I can proclaim with a full heart and full conviction that I believe that this couple is meant to be married. And I will spend time even in a social relationship with these couples. I will have them over my house or they will go out on a double date with myself and my wife so that we can, as a couple, examine them as a couple. And then even the ceremony, we'll talk through that and what it means and what the promises that they're making so that it's not said in a vacuum. It's not just blind repetition, but it's from their heart. But it's interesting, in all the process and in all the discussion that goes on, with the couples that I marry and even beyond that, with the couples that are screened through our church, which is somewhat like a marriage factory almost at grace. We get some very interesting couples that come through one gal, 22 years old listed this for her reasons for marrying her potential mate. Listen to them very, very carefully. Her man was had a strong love for belief in and dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Her man had strong moral character. He was able to execute good judgment and good decisions. This is the reasons why she felt she should marry this man. He was honest. And she wrote down, I respect him tremendously. While she wrote that, and for a year prior to them writing that, she'd been living with him. They both claimed to be Christians. And in their entire relationship both knowing that it was wrong before God. Isn't that incredible? She could list all of those qualities and yet at the same time be in a sinful relationship in such a way that they could not know God's will for their lives. She really didn't know what biblical headship was. She didn't know what strong moral character was. She didn't know what dependence upon the Lord was. And I want you gals this morning and you guys to know what it is. And I'd like to wrap up our time by giving you seven little qualities for those of you taking notes. And it's just going to run right through them like a grocery list of what a true biblical man is. Number one, he's mannered. He's mannered. That means that he bela- behaves politely. He's kind. And his behavior is very sensitive. He is mannered. A true biblical man who is going to fill out the role of headship, number two, is going to be righteous, righteous. He's going to be pure, first with himself and then with others. He's going to have high physical standards so that he would never compromise with a gal. Number three is that he is responsible, or another way of saying that would be respected, He works at home and at school and others in such a way that he fills out his responsibilities. He's one who is faithful to do what he's been called to do. That means homework. That means his job. That means being on time. He is responsible. Number three, he is interested. Excuse me. Number four, he is interested in details. He is very sacrificial. He will deny himself and his own priorities and listen to you. Number five, he's a guardian. He's a guardian, or another way of saying that would be a protector. He's protective of women, of their safety, of their needs. At a a nighttime gathering, he will take the time to walk her to her car so that she is safe. He is concerned about her as a weaker vessel. He is sensitive to her. The next one would be, I think, number six, and that would be that he is honest. He is honest. That means he has integrity. He's truthful. He's consistent. When you cut him or when a trial comes his way, he bleeds Bible. He bleeds Bible. And then the last one, number seven, he is tender. He is tender. It's easy for someone to laugh at him and for him to laugh at himself. That's a real test of a guy who really has a walk with Jesus Christ. Can he laugh at himself? Or does he have a a tender ego that is easily bruised? Is he willing to apologize first? Is he willing to be tender and treat women with kindness and tenderness and gentleness? If you guys look at those, mannered, righteous, responsible, interested, guardian, honest, and tender, that spells out in acrostic, Mr. Wright. Mr. Wright. And it's a way for you to remember what true biblical headship is. I hope it's helpful for you, as it's been helpful for many of the gals who have heard this before. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning, not so much that this would be something new, or this would be something novel, but Father, this would be something that you want us to live and to pursue. We pray, Father, that you would help these men to be truly biblical men, and that you would help these women to have the courage to seek out a truly biblical man. Father, we thank You for this time and we praise You and we give You all the glory because You deserve it all. And in Jesus' name, Amen.